Hey guys, just wanted to make a quick correction because I know that I would probably catch it if I was listening to another podcast. When I'm talking about us visiting the OR, I accidentally called it the OR room. I was really tired when I recorded this episode. I know that OR stands for operating room. Uh, So just pretend that I didn't call it an OR room. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, I am at Waverly Hills. I am doing an overnight, although I'm not doing a full overnight because I am old and I have to make a five-hour car ride to Ohio in the morning, but I'm here and I'm on the fifth floor and I've just stepped away from the group, so I'm all by my lonesome up here on the fifth floor and I gotta tell you, I am I am feeling all the vibes right now, so I'm I'm directly, when you come up the stairs onto the fifth floor, there's this little lobby. And there's a spot where I'm, I'm standing directly under it right now. The tour guide showed it to us earlier. And it's where they found a nurse hanging from a chandelier. And the story that they used to tell during tours at Waverly is actually not the true story. So I'll talk more about that back when I'm in the regular recording. But... For now, I just want to tell you it is it has got some sad, sad vibes up here. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Jesse Bartholomew, and I finally went to Waverly Hills. I was there from about 8 o'clock at night till about 1 o'clock in the morning. The rest of my group stayed until about 4 a.m., I think. Um, I had to leave early. I had to get some sleep so I could get up and, and make a road trip the following day. But I still had a lot of fun, and I learned a lot, and um, I'm excited to share it with you guys. So the very first thing I want to tell you about my Waverly visit is that Ernie, the tour guide, is absolutely wonderful. He's volunteered as a guide and held various other positions there on and off since 2009, and he grew up in the area, so he is without a doubt a Waverly expert. And right off the bat, he told us that Waverly is under new management, management that believes telling the truth is important, that embellishments hurt the integrity of the place, And I really appreciated hearing that, and it made the rest of the night a lot better, honestly. It made me trust that my own experience would be an authentic one. So here's how it worked. We arrived at 8 o'clock. It was me and maybe 10 or 12 other people that I'd not met before. Gary Lockard from the previous Waverly episode was kind of our liaison. So we set our stuff down in a room with lockers and vending machines, got settled in, and then we set off around the perimeter of Waverly Hills, so on the outside. And even though it was still light out when we walked the outside, the place still had this dark vibe to it. There's something about the way it sits on that wooded lot that makes you feel really alone and vulnerable. Some of the others in my group said it felt smaller than they expected. To me, it actually felt larger. But anyway, we made our way around that tall brick building. We got a really good idea of the size of it, and then we headed back inside. 
And they figured out how to time this really well so that the sun starts falling at the right times and it's pitch black by the time the guided tour is over and they're ready to release you out on your own. Before we talk about that, though, I want to tell you a bit about what I learned during the actual guided tour. I loved looking for ghosts, but if I'm being honest, I love the history of the place even more. So if you're planning on going and you want to hear all this history straight from the horse's mouth instead of from me, maybe skip a few minutes ahead here and you'll get to the paranormal part. So we'll start in the body chute. You have to walk downstairs through a bit of a maze of hallways to get to the body chute. I'll be honest, I was totally turned around pretty much the entire time we were there. I mean, you get so distracted looking at things, it's hard to pay attention to where you are. But yeah, we got to the body chute, uh, which is 560 feet long at a 45 degree angle with over 150 awkwardly spaced steps. Ernie informed us that at the peak of the epidemic, about 25 people a day were dying at Waverly. If you've seen pictures of it, you might know how outside their rooms they could go out on these covered decks, basically, where they could look out. Well, unfortunately, what patients would see a lot of the time is hearse after hearse carrying the dead off the property. Not what you want to see when you're a patient. So to fix this problem, they rigged the gurneys to fit on the rails of the chute that they formerly used to send the trash out. So they would send the bodies down the chute, and they would then be picked up and taken out at the bottom of the hill so that the living patients didn't have to see the sheer quantity of people dying. So from the body chute, we headed to the morgue. Before we got there, though, we stopped at a larger room where Ernie told us that whoever designed the original morgue was a, quote, optimistic idiot. Because, y'all... The real morgue was tiny, totally unequipped to handle the death rate. So we stopped in this larger room, which they had turned into a makeshift morgue with a giant freezer and big fans blowing. Pictures exist of that larger room lined wall to wall with the dead. See, the problem was relatives couldn't always pick up their deceased family members promptly, so they had to have a big storage area. Fun aside, Waverly always puts on a big Halloween haunted house spectacle, and a local funeral home donated some used caskets for their haunted house. However, Ernie says one of the caskets, quote, came with company. So a paranormal team out of Wisconsin stored their gear in that room, and a few people from the team came running upstairs one night saying someone was trying to get out of the casket. The group ended up moving their stuff out of the room and not going back in it for the rest of the night. The next room we went into came with a particularly unsettling story. Ernie talked to us about tuberculous meningitis, which is inflammation around the membranes in the brain or spinal cord, which caused headaches and pretty prominent behavioral changes. So in that room we were in, he told us about how patients in that room would be strapped down to a bed with electrodes attached to their head, followed by a doctor administering the electroshock therapy. 
even on kids. And he said, you know, they did this because one, they were a research hospital, and two, they were just desperately trying everything they knew how to do to make these people better. And the only things they knew how to do at the time were electroshock therapy or lobotomies. So that's a really sad room, and he said that's a very active room. Um, it's also one where doppelgangers have been seen, which means, um, like, in a group, you might see a figure with you that you might think is someone in your group, and then you realize later it wasn't them. So that's kind of fun. Next, we moved into the smaller original morgue where we got to see some authentic autopsy tables and gurneys that were set up for the body shoot rails. As we were standing in there, Ernie told us that the best way to investigate (laughs) is to climb headfirst into this tiny cubicle just large enough to slide a body into. Uh, It was the bottom of three of these cubicles stacked on top of one another obviously where they stored bodies. Um, Apparently that's a good spot. If you lie in there for several minutes and everybody else leaves, you can hear some sort of, or get some sort of activity in there. I did not do that, but I did watch someone else do it. And I panicked on his behalf the entire time. Um, So yeah, after that, we moved on to the lobby. And I have to tell you, I loved the whole place, but But man, I did not like being in the lobby. Um, I felt weird as soon as we walked in, even before we started learning about it. But what he told us was that in that lobby, there is some sort of very dark spirit. Multiple people have had to leave the building and calm down after being in that room. And for some people, the feeling has lasted for days after their visit. He said the the spirit in there particularly dislikes women, and he advised us not to spend more than 15 or 20 minutes in the lobby, which was fine with me. Now, when we went upstairs, we started learning about Woodhaven's history. So after it was no longer a tuberculosis hospital, in 1962, the building reopened as Woodhaven Geriatric Center. And from what we know, the staff at Woodhaven did not treat their patients well at all. So badly, in fact, that they eventually got shut down by the state of Kentucky. Just rampant abuse and neglect. So there's one story in particular. Um, There was an old woman with dementia, and she used to follow the nurses around up on what I believe was the fifth floor. And one night she followed a nurse into the vault Uh, The nurse was going in to get some medical records. So the nurse got what she needed. She turned around and she locked the door behind her with the woman still inside. And that was on a Friday afternoon. And the vault wasn't opened again by anyone until the following Monday afternoon, by which time the old woman was dead. Ernie said lots of EVPs have picked up things that sound like an old lady humming or sometimes an old lady crying or singing up in that room. Off one of the wings, um, there was a large room which functioned as the church and an area for all kinds of social gatherings. He also said that was a very active place. Um, I've seen photos in my research that I think are, are period photographs 
taken in that room where nurses are gathered around at tables and sitting on couches. Sometimes they appear to be like maybe celebrating a birthday or something. You can look these up and I'll post them on the website as well. Now, in the hallway on one of the middle floors, I can't remember which one, Ernie set us straight about the legend of Timmy, the boy who plays ball with visitors, which we talked about in the previous episode. Now, a long time ago, one of the groups that was there investigating realized that when they rolled a ball in a, you know, in a still room with no, no slant, the ball would still roll back to them. So they set up a spirit box session, and apparently the spirit box spit out a word that sounded something like Timmy. And the story of Timmy just exploded into all sorts of embellished versions after that, none of which are substantiated with any sort of documented evidence that a kid named Timmy was there. Now, there could have been a kid named Timmy there, but, you know, we just don't know. And what's more likely true is that there are lots of child spirits at Waverly, and any of them, or none of them, might play ball with you on any given night. Now we have to talk about the fifth floor. Uh, The fifth floor is my favorite because it's a little bit unique compared to the other floors. Also, a good part of it is open air. Uh, But that also comes with, with sadness because they put the sickest patients up there because of the open air. So when you exit the stairs and turn to the left on the fifth floor, there's an area where we stood And we learned that just above us, a woman either hanged herself or was hung from a light fixture. And this is another story where legends got started and kind of took off. But now we have a pretty good idea about what may have actually happened to this woman. So there were these stories about abortion and a dead fetus and an affair with a married doctor. And the truth is probably none of that was true. So before telling us the story of this, this woman in particular, Ernie kind of laid out for us what it was like to be a nurse there. So like I said, the fifth floor was for the sickest patients. One side was for the dying adults, and the other side was for the dying children. Okay, Nurses around this time were lucky to make around $25 a week. They were quarantined, remember, so if you worked there, you could not leave. You didn't really see your family much or or get to do anything like, you know, social events off the property. Women in the workplace were not treated very well at the time, and a lot of nurses ended up getting sick too. And so as a nurse, you might end up seeing some of your friends sick or even dying. So back to this woman in particular. They believe that this spirit's name was Sarah. And Ernie said he's been having conversations with Sarah for 12 years now. And other investigative teams have sent in their own evidence from around the world that have helped piece together Sarah's story. And the cool thing about that is a lot of what they send in ends up being consistent with the other groups. So... They believe that Sarah had an older sister and that her older sister died of tuberculosis. And so that's kind of what motivated her to want to work at Waverly. 
and they believe she was assigned to the fifth floor because she was good with children. Trigger warning here. Um, It gets rough. So one night, they believe that another staff member came up the stairwell while Sarah was alone in a room. And they believe that he snuck in and came up behind her and attacked her and raped her. And he said that at least nine different groups have picked up recordings with the words, he hurt my neck. And then they believe that Waverly Hills, they believe that this guy killed her or she, maybe she hanged herself in response to being raped. Either way, they believe that Waverly Hills did whatever they could to cover it up so that this wouldn't be a scandal. And Ernie even said that he believes the other stories that were fabricated in lieu of the truth were all to protect Waverly. Now, one other room that I really enjoyed learning about, which is not on the fifth floor, um, was the OR room, okay? And this is where Ernie told us about the experimental procedures, like thoracoplasty, which involved... Oof. removing some of the patient's ribs from their chest wall, okay? And that the rate of survival for surgeries like that, it was abysmal. And even if you lived through it, you'd be miserable. You'd be disfigured. It was, man, it was not good. So that about does it for the learning portion of tonight's episode. Now on to the ghosties. to tell you that my expectations were really that I would not see, hear, or feel much of anything. I've never seen a ghost before. I believe that spirits can probably linger around after they die. I mean, why not? And as I said in the pre-visit interview, I've been showing houses or photographing them in the past, and I've felt like someone was there with me, but I've never actually seen anything until I went to Waverly. First of all, let me give you a piece of advice that I don't want you to forget. If you take away anything from this episode at all, it's this. Don't be the last person in your group with no one behind you. I've never felt full body chills in my life like I did during the moments when I became a straggler. You know, when I fell behind, like looking at something. Um, Man, when no one else is there to protect your backside, you feel so vulnerable in that building. Um, So yeah, that's my number one piece of advice. Don't be last. The second thing I wanted to point out is that your mind will play tricks on you in a way I would never have even thought possible. Um, Man, shadows bouncing around and things moving in the corner of your eye and you're not sure if you actually saw something or not. There's a lot of that going on. So when the group split up into teams, I went off with Gary first. Um, I didn't know anybody else. He'd been there three times before. He had all the gear. And frankly, it just felt safe. So Gary and I meandered through the pitch black hallways of Waverly Hills alone. We had the light from my phone flashlight and his headlamp with nothing but darkness behind us. We stopped a few times to see if any of the kids felt like playing ball with us. They didn't. We kind of rushed through this, though, and next time I think I'd like to spend a bit more time giving it a try. 
So we recorded some EVPs. We went up to the fifth floor and sat in an old nurse's station for a while. And of course, I kind of went into daydream mode, trying to imagine what it must have been like for these nurses. You know, thinking about Sarah and how depressed some of these women must have been. Imagine being one of the ones who ended up getting really sick. It makes sense that there would be a lot of emotional spirits up there on the level where the sickest patients were kept. We briefly went back down to the lobby where Ernie said the darker spirit resided. I don't know if Gary felt it too. We really didn't talk about it, but we did not spend very much time in there. It just doesn't feel good to be in that room. I don't know how else to put it. It just, uh, you don't feel welcome in there. So we met back up with some of the others in the body shoot. Apparently two of the groups we'd split from had something thrown at them as they entered the body shoot. And at this point, I think my adrenaline was kicking in because I really wanted to get to the bottom of that shoot, even just to say that I did it. So we trekked down the awkwardly spaced steps. I tripped on the way down because no matter what group of people I'm with, I'm the clumsy one. And I don't know if the spirits joined us just to mock my clumsiness or what, but let me tell you, something happened in that tunnel. We got to the bottom, cut all the lights, and started a recording. Gary started asking questions, which, from my understanding, is just what you're supposed to do to get their attention. So Gary asked the spirits to make themselves known, and after a moment, one of the girls standing with us jumped. She said she felt a little tug on her ponytail. Then, all at once, we looked up towards the the top of the chute, and we saw this thin figure kind of walking towards us, almost like a dog. It was something I know I saw. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. But we all saw it at the same time. And it wasn't just something that was there for a split second either. We all stared at it, and it truly appeared to be coming right towards us down the chute. I can honestly say that was one of the spookiest moments of my life. It was such a strange feeling. So that's that's my big story, okay? That's, that's the one thing that I know I saw. So after that, we went back into what was like the makeshift morgue after that, that larger room they used to store bodies. Um, we also went back into the smaller room that had the old gurneys and the three body storage cubicles, and one of the guys got in it for maybe 10 minutes. And like I mentioned earlier, I was terrified for him. After that, unfortunately, I had to take off. At 1.45 a.m., not long after I left, I got a text from Gary. It said, this place is really active now. The day after we went to Waverly, I got an Instagram message from one of the people in our group. He said, did Gary tell you about all the extra stuff we found and heard in the recordings? So I got the recordings back from Gary. They did an EVP on the fifth floor by the room where they found Sarah, which our guide Ernie told us was personal to him. He, he's uh, been talking to that spirit for over a decade. He even has the room number in the same style as seen on the doorframe tattooed on his arm. And when they use the spirit box, what do you know? One of the first things you hear in the recordings is Ernie. 
So of course, after I left, the activity levels picked up. Maybe the ghosts didn't like me or were shy around me. Maybe I didn't properly introduce myself. I don't know. Gary said they got kicked out of the vault by a ghost. He said on the EVP they heard, please leave out of respect. I'm really sorry I missed this, but I'm really glad the others were able to get a little bit more of a show than I did. And it is my fault for having left early, but I really didn't want to sleep drive to Ohio the next day. So now what? Well, I'm dying to go back. That's what. I can't help but feel like I have unfinished business there. First of all, this might sound crazy, but I wouldn't mind spending a little more time by myself in certain parts of the building. I feel like the best way to really take it in and maybe make some sort of connection is just being totally alone. Second, I would really like to tour the place during the day. Like I said at the beginning, I love the history even more than I love the paranormal aspect of it, and I would like to be able to see more of the remnants of the hospital in the daylight, since most of the time you spend there for an investigative tour is in the pitch black. There's something about the piled up old radiators, the dilapidated nurses' stations, the sterilizing equipment and rusted light fixtures in the OR, the ancient gurneys and operating tables that just leaves you wanting more. Of course, this kind of thing isn't for everyone, but if you love the historic, the unusual, and the spooky, this place is absolutely for you. So if you haven't been, you've got to go. I'm not sure how far in advance it's booked, but you can find out everything you need to know on their website, therealwaverlyhills.com. If you want to go with my group specifically, we're already making plans for a tour in 2022. You can shoot me a message and I'll get you the details. And as always, if you want to send me a topic suggestion or just tell me something good, you can reach me via social media or kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. For all my pictures from our tour and some historic photos as well, you can head on over to kyhistoryhaunts.com. I appreciate you all listening. This is quite a story to tell. Take care and until next time.